Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Breakfast with Boz being served by Wahoo. I am your host, Ian Boswell. Quickly want to apologize for not sharing a breakfast recipe with you last week. I was rushed to get out the door to head up to carve a few turns up on Burke Mountain. Making up for it this week, Winston's on the floor. He wants some of this breakfast. This morning, we have a breakfast sandwich, but not just an ordinary breakfast sandwich. And if you haven't picked on up on it yet, you'll know that my wife, Gretchen, loves baking. We both do a lot of cooking, but Gretchen is really the one that does most of the baking in the house. I, for some reason, have very sticky fingers when it comes to mixing bread and flour, and I always end up with dough all over my fingers. And Gretchen here whipped up one of my personally favorite breads last night. Gretchen, what are we eating? Oh boy, I'm still eating. We're eating a focaccia breakfast sandwich with some avocado, some bacon from Libby's Market up in Lindenville, one of our eggs, and some cabbage cheddar cheese. So, uh, avocado is definitely not local, but the other stuff is. Yeah, Italian bread mixed with some local ingredients. And if you've never tried focaccia, I could not recommend it more for really anything. I said it's probably one of my favorite breads. It's a flat Italian bread, a lot of olive oil, salty and it's just uh it's delicious gretchen and i were traveling in italy several years ago and we stopped in san remo which is just across the border from from nice and picked up what was my all-time favorite piece of focaccia and it was very doughy so we're still trying to perfect our recipe gretchen what's the knuckle method when it comes to focaccia to make all the little bumps on top that would be a terrible task for me. It would be all stuck in, in my fingers. What do you what do you do to uh, give the focaccia its texture on top? I didn't actually use my knuckles. I think some people do, but I think traditionally in Italy, I think they just use their fingers and kind of like poke and prod at it. And then you drizzle some olive oil over the top so that the olive oil kind of sinks into those little spots and then sprinkle it with some sea salt. We still have some sea salt left over from Nice that I've been savoring. So I put that on the top. Yeah, it's really, it's really a treat. It sure is. We don't bake it often, but enough of us rambling on about focaccia breakfast sandwiches. Let's finish up our breakfast, Gretchen, and get into today's episode of Breakfast with Boz being served by Wahoo. Before we dive into the episode today, I wanted to remind all of you loyal Breakfast with Boz listeners that the podcast for the foreseeable future will be coming out every other week. It'll still be coming out on Wednesday. You can download it still on all your normal feeds and channels that you have in the past, but just wanted to remind you that every other week, Breakfast with Boz will be coming out. So let's get started with the first episode of what we'll call season two of Breakfast with Boz. And the first episode is something very close to my heart. We're talking today about concussion in cycling. As many of you will know, I decided to walk away from my professional road career due to a crash that I had in the spring of 2019. Concussion is a very serious and a very real issue in the sport of cycling, whether it's professional or recreational. Crashes unfortunately happen and heads, a very fragile part of our body, oftentimes can suffer some of the consequences of those crashes. So rather than doing a podcast about all the terrible potential side effects of concussion, 
I decided that I'm going to use this platform and today's episode to talk about the culture around concussion and cycling. And for that, I am joined by three fantastic guests. First, we're going to be hearing from Amanda Batty, who is a former professional snowboarder and downhill mountain biker. Amanda has suffered many concussions over the course of her career in racing downhill, be it on snow or dirt. Following Amanda, we're going to be hearing from Dr. Carnero from the UNC Medical Center. I actually worked closely with Dr. Carnero in the recovery process from my concussion, and he and his colleagues down at UNC are doing some amazing research, and he's able to provide a little bit of information and kind of insight into how to best recover from a concussion and symptoms to look for if you do happen to find yourself in a situation where you've hit the ground and you think you may have suffered a concussion. So some very valuable information in there. And lastly, we're going to be hearing from my good friend, Tanner Putt. Tanner and I raced together professionally, both here in the U.S. and overseas. Like myself, Tanner had to call the end to his professional career due, due to a concussion. And Tanner has a, yeah, a very compelling story about his journey through the recovery process of concussion and really the lack of support that he felt from within the cycling community. And I guess the the team and kind of the people around him were just really unable to provide him the support that he needed for what was a very, a very sad story, to be quite frank. And uh, Tanner has since moved to Vermont. We've been out skiing and biking a little bit. So I hope that you all can enjoy today's episode. I do want to give a little warning before we dive into my conversation with Amanda that she does mention a few uh, graphic incidences of of some crashes that she suffered over the years. So just beware that uh, yeah, Amanda does kind of touch on some some somewhat graphic scenes from from crashes she's experienced. But nonetheless, I hope you can all enjoy today's show. And finally, just a reminder that. This is by no means a deterrent to not get out and ride your bike and to love the endurance sports that we all so much need in our lives. Both Amanda, Tanner, and myself, I guess, have all suffered concussions and we've returned to our bikes because it does bring us so much joy. And as Amanda said, the process of riding a bike is probably one of the best recovery forms from a concussion. So please, folks, stay safe, wear your helmet. And I hope we can continue the conversation around concussion in cycling. And I hope that the podcast today is a catalyst for change and movement in the sport. And if nothing else, a little bit of information that you can take home and share with your local cycling community. So I've been rambling enough. Let's dive into today's episode, starting off with Amanda Batty. I am joined now by Amanda Batty, I think the first ever uh, guest I've had from New Mexico. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Ian. Well, I've, uh, I was put in touch with you through actually a colleague who follows you on social media, and you were, you're very outspoken about the lack of awareness around concussion in cycling, but in all sports. Just to get it started off, what's your, what's your personal history and experience with, with concussion? Well, I um, I think it's a pretty well, it's a pretty well known fact at this point, just because I am so outspoken about it, that I've had you know 32 medically recorded concussions that have actually been diagnosed by a doctor or an emergency physician, and I've had six TBIs, 
which is, you know, it, it's a traumatic brain injury. And essentially my background in it is that I was one of those, you know, we didn't really think about helmets being, you know, I was born in the late eighties. So helmets weren't a big deal. I mean, they kind of were, but nobody really understood what actually happens inside of the brain, um, you know, upon impact. And so you were, you know, we were riding in essentially like takeout styrofoam containers in the, you know, in the late eighties and nineties. And that was supposed to suffice for head protection. Yeah. Well, I mean, you have a, you have a long history of, you know, snowboarding, downhill mountain biking, you know, just being a kid and and riding around the neighborhood without a helmet or, you know, playing, you know, basketball, baseball, football, whatever you're playing, you know, kids tend to hit their heads. And, you know, I wonder how many people out there have just had a suffered concussion without even really knowing, especially if it's a mild concussion, but by no means does that mean that, you know, that the symptoms and lingering effects don't still persist. Do you have any sort of kind of long-term effects that affect you today in your, in your day-to-day life, but also more in particular in your, in your sport and riding and, and, you know, being on the mountainside? I do. I actually, so I retired in 2018 after leg injury, but my, my brain is basically what is called pre-CTE right now. So I have the presence, I have the presence of um, lesions and essentially bright spots on my brain. I'm, I mean, I have everything from migraines to um, my attention. Like I had, I've always had ADHD, but my attention span has gotten, it's been incredibly compromised as well as my short-term memory. Um, My brain essentially does not store uh, short-term, my my brain is a little ridiculous. It, It basically is a very fussy computer that decides what it would like to say. It's like Microsoft Word 2001. Um, <laughs> it basically it decides what it wants to save based on what is relevant in my mind at that point. Um, so it's it's incredibly unreliable. Unfortunately, it's not incredibly, you know, conducive to being a functioning adult. And so, you know, it, it kind of depends on, the, you know, depending on the day, the long-term uh, residual effects of concussive damage have been, um, you know, moodiness, you know, depression, um, you know, lack of lack of focus, lack of concentration, you know, short-term memory, massive migraines. Uh, I mean, like debilitating migraines. You, there's, and you know, there's all sorts of you know colloquial terms that we use for the symptoms of major brain damage. Um, but it all, it all basically adds up to a really frustrating existence, you know, especially for people who love me, you know, people who will tell me um, something important and I will just completely space it. Um, you know, the last, the last two years of my career was really difficult because there are entire races that I don't remember, like, you know, where people are like, oh no, I met you at, you know, the Strand booth or I met you you know, at the top of the race course, and we did an entire course walk together, and I do not remember this person. And, you know, in a court of law, I would swear that I had never met them in my entire life. And so, yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of insane. Is this something that developed over time? I mean, is it the, you know, the subsequent concussions and kind of the, the volume of overall concussions that you've experienced that you feel, you know, over the course of your life, it's compounded and made it, made it worse? Or is there one, one crash in particular that, seem to kind of affect the, affect things more than others? I mean, honestly, where I didn't have baseline testing, 
you know, as a toddler or as a kid or even as an adolescent or, you know, young adult, my first, I, I can't really tell, you know, which event triggered sort of this cascading, um, this, you know, this residual effect, but I do know that, you know, concussions do add up and over time they, you know, they, as you well know, I'm sure, you know, the brain has essentially, even if you are an incredibly, even if your brain has a superhuman level of, you know, neuroplasticity, the ability to sort of bounce back, um, it's still going to affect, you know, impact and brain bleeds and, you know, all of the, all of the things that add up, it's still going to affect it. I was, I've been life flighted three times for brain injuries with the last being in March of 2009. I had a, um, cerebral hemorrhage. I had a cerebral tear and hemorrhage. Um, and I had a massive amount of brain bleeding and, um, it affected, it affected, you know, the part of my brain that that affected speech majorly. Um, I still, you know, when I'm, when I'm stressed, I still st struggle with something called aphasia where I use the wrong words for the right thing in my brain. It sounds like the right word, but the thing that comes out of my mouth isn't actually the right word for it. And it's a, it's often a really, you know, I'll be talking about neuroplasticity and I'll use the word toast and everybody's just kind of like, wait, what? And, and it's, it's a, and depending on my, what I'm doing at that point, you know, if I'm doing my brain exercises, if I'm meditating, if I'm, you know, if my nutrition's good, if I'm sleeping well, it, you, I can, there's a distinct sort of fade away of the symptoms, but they're always there. They're always, they're always sort of, they're always present. Um, and, you know, they have gotten worse over time. And it's just something that I, you know, that I've accepted and that I kind of, you know, try to warn people about. And yeah. Well, in, in many ways, you know, we're all still, and, you know, even the, the experts in, in the field are still very much learning about kind of how the brain works. And, you know, especially early, early rehab is something that I was turned on to, well, not early enough from kind of following my most recent concussion, but something that they're realizing is, is very important. And, you know, kind of, you know, you look at 50 years ago and you had a knee surgery, they told you to, you know, sit inside and not do anything for you know, two months, but now, you know, you're doing physical therapy the next day and it's, it's the same with the brain. Do you feel that you had any sort of access or in like insight to information from the people around you to, to support you following these concussions, you know, especially being a professional downhill mountain biker where hitting your head is, it's going to happen. It's an unfortunate consequence of, you know, such a thrilling sport, but was there anyone around you who was able to provide you just some guidance of like, Hey, go see the specialist or maybe check this out. Or is it very much, you're kind of left to your own, you know, network of maybe what you knew or didn't know, um, kind of as far as the, the rehab process. Yeah. So as far as, I mean, as far as, you know, communal influence or, you know, kind of that community understanding of, of concussions, I've always been, I've always been the driver behind my own recovery behind, um, you know, finding the specialists other than, you know, my neurologist, my neurologist at the University of Utah, who said, you know, after my, after my last, after my brain bleed, my life flight in 2009, when I recovered my speech so rapidly and I seemed to have made a full recovery, he immediately was like, okay, I want to enroll you in this study. I, you know, like you need to be part of this. We want to know how your brain works. And I mean, other, other than him, there have been, there's been nobody in 
you know, this, like the racing profession, you know, the, the professional side of bike racing, um, like the federation side, um, you know, like course officials, there has been honestly nobody other than the physician in 2016 in Mont Saint Anne who stopped me from racing. You know, he said he red carded me after I hit my head and was just like, you can't, you know, you can't race. You aced, um, you know, you, you aced the testing, but you know how this testing goes. You already know the answers to this. You've memorized them. And so they're, they're useless as a jump off point for where your brain actually is right now. And yeah, it's for me, that's been one of the most influential things as far as me speaking out about it, because there, there is so, there's such a massive lack of institutional understanding and protocol around concussions in cycling and by in racing, particularly that we're doing real damage. Like we are, we are, we are doing real damage as a sport because we don't understand we don't understand concussions. We don't understand the real life ramifications. And we also don't understand the individual propensity for damage, you know, how, how it varies from person to person. I mean, if you look at, and I've, I've, you know, I've spoken about this before, but the majority of the cycling community didn't know that, you know, Trek's wave cell claims were at, or bond triggers, Trek, you know, whatever, that their claims were grossly inaccurate because we don't know, you know, as a community, the bike world does not understand that you can't make that promise. Like it's not scientifically possible to make that promise. And that's, to me, that was the biggest shock is that I, I thought that more people in cycling at least understood the basics of the human brain of concussions and where cycling is the biggest annual concussion contributor in the U.S., other than football, um, that's a pretty big deal that we don't, because, you know, the conversation in football and hockey has, has been huge at the forefront of even, you know, non-sport press and, and in, in cycling, it hasn't, like we haven't had these conversations. You know, over the last 18 months, I've, you know, been connected with various specialists. You know, a lot of people in the UK actually reached out following my concussion to try and, you know, get some sort of, you know, I don't know, protocol or system in place for for concussion awareness in cycling and, you know, in particular, you know, professional road cycling, because that's kind of the background I came from. And I spoke mm-hmm. to a, a doctor over there who had kind of been involved with with rugby, which, you know, obviously had its fair share of concussion, you know, issues, but you know, it took a huge cultural shift for the entire sport and, you know, in particular, the athletes to make sure that they were looking out for themselves, but for each other. Because oftentimes if you're an athlete, I mean, you full, you know, full well that what you want to do is get back on your bike and ride. I mean, you might be bleeding, you might have a broken bone or chipped a tooth, but all you want to do is get back on your bike and, you know, go up that hill or go down that hill. And it really takes the people around you to actually, you know, kind of stop you in your place and be like, hey, you need to assess yourself. This is, you know, this is an injury that in many, many ways is invisible. It's not a broken bone. There's not always blood. You know, so what do you think that the the culture of cycling, you know, we can talk about professional cycling, but even just the wider public, if you're on a local group ride and someone, you know, someone crashes and they hit their head, you know, how can we address and kind of change the culture of cycling to make sure that, you know, the vast majority of people are aware of the, you know, the short and long-term consequences of, of, you know, head trauma. Well, I think, I mean, culturally, I think that that's, that's the biggest impediment right now. Um, that's, that's what's roadblocking the entire cultural shift is it. And I'm, I'm actually really glad you brought that up because 
So in cycling, our culture, we have a uniquely toxic culture of suck it up or of, of the hero performance. Like if you look at the biggest, um, you know, the biggest race coverage of any particular athlete, it's always an athlete who crashes super hard, gets up and keeps going. And you, you know, you, if you look at the, the coverage, it's, it's this, it's this unique hero worship culture that starts with, you know, it starts with such things as, you know, calling our training center, you know, like, oh, the pain cave, like went to visit the pain cave, you know, like the entire thing isn't sort of this healthy approach to incremental improvement. It's this, you know, it's this marginal gains, give everything you have. And unfortunately that, that affects how we see injuries like concussions. You know, if someone goes down in a race and their clothes are torn and they might have hit their head, but their helmet, like their helmet, or they might not have even hit their head. You know, their helmet doesn't have any scratches. They don't have any broken bones. So they're going to hop back on the bike. But what a lot of racers and what a lot of, you know, team coaches and a lot of team doctors don't understand is that it, you don't have to hit your head in order to cause massive rotational damage. Like you don't, you don't have to hit your head. So um, when I tore my essentially I tore my brain stem away from the bottom of my brain in 2009. I broke six ribs on I think I actually think it was eight. I broke eight ribs, punctured my lung, both lungs and I lost my left kidney. I hit a tree on the left side of my body. So I didn't actually hit my head, but because of the shearing forces as they're called that impacted i mean as you can imagine a hit that hard that would do that much internal internal damage jarred my spine enough that my brain actually ricocheted inside of my skull and it tore my brain stem away from the bottom of my brain causing a massive brain bleed and so you look at you look at the understanding of how uh, you know like and people people get concussions by you know i've gotten a concussion by you know, on my, on my snowboard, my, I lost my heel edge and slid out, broke my tailbone and I got a concussion because of how hard I hit. And it's, people don't understand that you don't have to hit your head. And I think that that's the biggest concern is that it is an invisible injury, but it's also an invisible injury that's compounded by a unique level of widespread ignorance at, that, that's and that ignorance is then coupled with a cultural, this sort of cultural driver of, oh, shake it off. It's not a big deal. I mean, that would, you know, shake it off. It's not a big deal. You know, pain cave, it, pain cave ideology is sort of one of the biggest cultural drivers in cycling. Like, oh, you're a badass, you know, and it, it's coupled with the ignorance around concussions and then concussions being an invisible injury, you have this stew that is making everything so much worse for everybody. Yeah. Well, and you, you know, you look at the last, you know, 12 months when, when races haven't happened and, you know, there's been this, you know, I mean, at least in, in my network of people, you know, people going off and doing these, you know, sometimes ridiculous challenge, you know, Everesting challenge. And it's all about, you know, going bigger and harder and, you know, faster and doing more. And, that's, I mean, it's, it's great in the sense for human performance, you know, people are pushing themselves. And I think, you know, a lot of athletes, myself included, really love that. But there is this very fine line, especially when it comes to head injuries. And, you know, you look at professional sport and it's like, there's a time when, you know, you hit your head or something happens that it, 
becomes a moment that you say, Hey, you know what? Like this can, this, you know, this is much bigger than a broken bone, a, bo- a broken bone heals. You know, your brain may not ever return to the state it was prior to, you know, either hitting it or just like you said, when you have a kind of a high force impact and your body's, you know, going at 40 miles an hour and comes to an abrupt stop, you know, your brain does get rattled around and you might have no scratches on you, but you're, you know, internally you can do some serious damage. Oh, and I mean, especially when you think about the sort of crashes in cycling that happen, you're not just at, you're not just at that point after a concussion, even a mild concussion, you're not just at the point where it's like, okay, time, you know, time to heal. Will your brain heal? Can you recover? But most people after a concussion, because it is the brain, you know, if you break your arm, yes, shock is going to momentarily make it hard, difficult to think, you know, it's going to make your critical, you know, it's going to reduce your critical thinking skills for a temporary period of time. But a concussion is such a debilitating injury because it doesn't affect, it it affects the same organ that you use to make rational decisions. So you hit your head while you're at the bike park with friends, you know, you're all there for a weekend. Your friends notice that you're kind of loopy, that you're kind of weird, but you feel fine and you go drink and, you know, you go out that weekend feeling great. You wake up the next morning, you go out again and you have a harder crash the next day. And it's all of these small things that seem, they're seemingly innocuous. Like they're, they're, you know, they're seemingly very innocent. Like it's not, it's not going to do any damage, but because of second impact syndrome, you're also more likely to crash if you don't see, if you aren't given a concussion diagnosis immediately and you don't start recovery protocol because of those critical thinking skills and because of all of these rat, these reasoning abilities in this organ that has now been damaged in ways you might not understand, the, the likelihood of crashing again is so much higher. And if you do hit your head or if your brain is rattled around again, you're doing even more damage that is far more likely to be permanent. And that's where the real danger. Yeah. Well, that's something that I, you know, I, I returned from Europe after my crash in 2019 and my, my neighbor who works in the medical field, she was kind of appalled by the, the recommendations that I got from my team doctor, kind of the, the return to return to play, you know, kind of protocol. Um, so uh-huh. she actually went and made a, a spreadsheet of athletes who have, you know, suffered in, you know, a, a documented concussion in a race, their return to racing and then the crashing within this window of, you know, there was an outstanding percentage of athletes who had crashed, had a concussion, returned to racing far too soon. You know, we're talking a week to two weeks and then had another crash within that window. And, you know, a lot of that is, like you said, it's due to the fact that they're just not ready to return. You know, whether their, their vision is off, whether they, you know, their handling of the bike is off, you know, and putting themselves in a very dangerous situation and, you know, potentially exposing themselves to another, another head injury, which, you know, is, could be far, far worse than, you know, the injury that first kind of set off this whole chain of events. Yeah. And I mean, that's, you look at, you look at, um, the celebrity, uh, I always forget her name, um, Liam Neeson's wife. So she crashed at Canyons Resort, you know, a few years ago, it's probably been 10 years now. She, she thought she had a mild concussion. She went to the ER. They were like, you have a mild concussion. You're good. She went home and she died in her sleep because she had, she essentially had swelling of the brain it burst and she had a massive aneurysm and died. And if, and imagine if there's a time delay in that sort of a situation where 
an athlete has swelling on the brain, you know, they go to their next race or they go home. And then two weeks later, they come back. And because their judgment is compromised, because, you know, like you said, their bike handling is compromised, even their response time is compromised, you know, in a sport like cycling, where you're on, you're on a precarious two-wheeled contraption, where response time is everything. If you can't keep that thing upright, you're screwed. Um, you know, particularly if you already have compromised brain health, if you, if your brain health is all, you know, if your brain is already not functioning optimally, your response time is going to be off, which, you know, then increased again, you know, likelihood of crash. But now you have this brain that's been harmed, not once, but twice. And then what the, you know, and studies have actually shown that second impact syndrome results in more deaths due to brain trauma that, that was entirely preventable. And that's, that's, I think the one thing that we don't talk about is the possibility of dying because something has gone wrong in your brain is shockingly high and that the cycling world, that the bike world at large does not discuss this is, is massively terrifying to me. Yeah. Well, and you know, kind of moving over to like the, the tech side of it and helmets, you know, I mean, helmets have come a long way since, you know, my dad gave me an old skid lid from, you know, the 1980s that was, you know, foam wrapped in leather. I'm like, this is ridiculous. You know, helmets have come yeah. a, lot, a lot, you know, I understand, you know, people did not wear helmets cause they, they didn't do much and they were very uncomfortable. Helmets have, you know, improved dramatically. You know, where do you kind of see the next big improvement when it comes to, you know, the tech and, and helmet side of, you know, the industry? I'm, I'm honestly, I see, you know, barring claims like the wave cell claim or, or, you know, the Smith choroid claim, I see the biggest helmet improvement is lightweight as well as force, dis- like essentially force dispersion. So the light one, the lighter a helmet is, the less rotational force is actually placed on the brain. So it's the basic, you know, it's the basic physics calculation. It's the basic physical calculation of, you know, speed or acceleration plus weight, but, you know, plus mass equals velocity. And I think that you're going to have, and, and you've already seen it over the last few years, which is why the all of the helmets that I wear are carbon. So they're all carbon fiber. Um, they all have MIPS because statistically, one, because MIPS doesn't make the claim that they can prevent concussions. Two, because statistically, the way that MIPS actually suspends the skull in an attempt to disperse or, or dissipate the, any force from an impact, from direct impact, that's a, that's a huge, that's a huge deal. It's kind of like suspension on a car. So, you know, you're driving along and you hit a huge pothole. If you have great suspension, you're probably not going to feel it. You know, if your suspension is, or suspension on a bike, you know, your, your suspension is going to do its job. It's sort of going to absorb that and then disperse it as required. Um, brains, brains already have, so, you know, inside of the skull, you have, you know, the skull and then you have fluid and you have your brain and your brain is sort of suspended in there. And that's what that fluid is supposed to do. But human bodies and human heads were not built for the sort of, the sort of impacts and the sort of speeds that we're seeing, you know, in the last 50 to a hundred years. Um, you know, I mean, hell, even horse racing, you see all of these things, you know, and growing up on a horse farm, 
I was already sort of predisposed to being just this nightmare of a brain injury patient. But, but you see all these activities where they combine this, quite frankly, this very delicate shell with a soft, gooey, you know, cordial cherry filling. And then you've got your cherry inside, but this cherry is incredibly sensitive that controls the entire brain's function from, you know, from the endocrine system, you know, your pituitary gland, your thyroid, to, you know, emotion regulation, to, you know, sleep habits, to, and, and you, you have this, it's this computer board that's essentially being suspended in cordial cherry fluid inside of a soft chocolate shell. And so you're, you're combining all of these delicate things with this human propensity for pushing limits, pushing boundaries, going bigger, going faster, because we want to see what's possible. Humans always, that's the one thing that's true about humans. You know, we're always going to push limits, but you combine that with the opposite where that we're not equipped for it. And you have just a nightmare of epic report. You know, you have this, the likelihood of it, of, of these epically bad, you know, these epically bad injuries. And I think that for a lot of people, their helmet, you know, they don't understand helmet technology. They don't understand that helmets cannot prevent nor they, do they reduce concussions. All a helmet can do, they, they keep your skull. They keep the cordial cherry fluid inside. And I think that that's the biggest um, misconception right now is that helmets can prevent concussions when they, they don't and they can't. And anybody who claims that they can is is not telling the truth. When it's, um, you know, you've just shared an incredible amount of, of information and, you know, all this. Yeah, sorry about that. No, no, no. It, it's fantastic. And and I guess my, my, my question is that all of that said, you still choose to get out there and, and ride your bike. Why is that? You know, knowing, knowing all that you know, you still love to go ride your bike. Is it just a matter of, of riding it in a, in a safer and more controlled manner? Or is it something that, you know, yes. the, the thrill of riding is just so great that it's something you're not, you, you're not willing to give up? All of the above. You know, I left, I left snowboarding after that last injury in 2009. I just walked away. I became really disenchanted with it. But for me, I can't do that with bikes, unfortunately. So cycling has been shown to increase circulation, but also helps with ADHD. You know, it helps with depression. It helps with mood disorders on a level where, you know, they like research has actually shown that it assists all of these symptoms of a concussion. Um, and for me, it's kind of like skiing. Like I don't ski anywhere close to the way that I used to. Um, and I definitely do not ride anywhere close to the way that I used to just because the, the one thing that prevents con that, that the only thing that can prevent concussion is, is skill is the skill and the understanding that you can do real damage if you ride beyond your abilities. And so I've toned it way back. I've, I've had to. And I think that for me, it's length of life versus quality of life, if that makes sense. It's, it's an argument that could I get hit by a car, you know, riding my bike around town? Um, you know, could I hit a tree or, you know, mountain biking? Yes, absolutely. Those possibilities are very rare. You know, those, those possibilities are very real. But the flip side of that is I could also, I could also have a heart attack. I could also get COVID and, you know, my lungs could fill with fluid and I would die. Um, 
you know, bad things happen to people every day. You know, I could get electrocuted while sitting on the toilet. You know, it, there's there's a, there's a lot of really random, horrific uh, ways to die. And I think that if if the inevitable is going to happen sooner rather than later, I would much rather happen have it happen because I'm doing things that make me healthier and that help me be a more productive, a, you know, a better member of society than, than to sit on my couch and not do anything at all and just sort of rage tweet all day, which is absolutely 100% what I would do if I couldn't ride. <laughs> so I, I think that that's, it, it's better for everybody that I just keep riding my bike. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a perfect way to, to end it. And uh, yeah, Amanda, thank you so much for your insight and yeah, keep, keep riding, stay healthy and, and safe out there in, in New Mexico. And yeah, thank you so much for for sharing such valuable information and also tying it back to the fact that it is still such a beautiful sport to get out and ride your bike and that there are many and countless benefits to riding. Just do it safe. Absolutely. And Ian, thank you so much for having me and letting me share that information. I really appreciate it. Thanks. I am joined now by Dr. Carnero down at UNC. Dr. Carnero, thanks for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. It's it's great to be here and yeah, we uh, we met last. I guess was it two Augusts ago? I came down to to see you on on recommendation from uh, a team that I was on as a junior, and they had a connection to to the research center down there. Can you briefly describe what you're working on with with your team down at UNC and kind of what you're specifically the research you're trying to uncover and develop around concussion? Yeah, we we've noticed that you know most of the sort of focus in concussions has been on diagnosis of concussions and. There are a lot of great centers right now looking at, you know, lab-based tests to see to diagnose a concussion, you know, imaging tests to diagnose a concussion, et cetera. We're re- really focused on sort of what happens after the concussion, rehabilitation of a concussion. One of our researchers is doing a lot on um, uh, sort of dual tasks, like how do, you, how do you do two things at once? You know, you, you cycle. So can you cycle and use your eyes at the same time? How does the body um, sort of work in, in that uh, respect? So, so we're doing doing stuff there. You know, do we do stuff with visual training, things like that? Uh, athletes are, are you know a, a predominant thing um, a group that we've been working with, but actually we're we're working a lot with the military these days at, at our center, and and that's been really really good, and helpful, and, and really feel like we're doing our part to help. Well, yeah, and that's one of the things that I you know you're able you and your team were really able to help me kind of get on the right path to recover, even though it was probably, I came to see you long after I, I should have, but that the the symptoms and side effects and kind of lingering issues that people have with concussion, you know, we've, I mean, people like you have really discovered and uncovered that, you know, recently, you know, I, the t- typical symptoms, you know, headache and tired and fatigue. And it wasn't until I came to see you that you sent me to a, an optometrist and realized that, you know, I had pretty bad kind of double vision and it was actually, in my case, it was almost my vision that was affected most. Is it is it kind of a continually ongoing process of discovering different side effects that people may be experiencing post-concussion? Yeah, that's a, good, that's a great point. And I think the more we looked at this, Ian, the more we realized there are many, many aspects, or we call them domains, sort of, sort of brain domains that are affected with this. And vision is certainly one we're seeing a lot more of. And I think that's one of the, vision is one of the ones that if you don't treat it early, you can get used to this. Um, you know, lack of vision. And I've seen athletes and even like just students who really can't retain information well because their eyes don't work that well. And they don't realize that it's because of the eyes not working well. They really think something's going on sort of cognitively in a sense. So vision is definitely one. 
the vestibular system, the balance system is often affected. The cognitive system is affected and mood and sleep. Um, the neck is often affected, causing headaches. So there are many different systems we see in the brain that are affected with, with concussions. And you're right, it's a process of now we're trying to get better at diagnosing all these different things um, and also getting trying to get better at treating them as well. Well, you know, concussions are, you know, they're very common in a lot of American sports and it's been addressed, you know, when you look at, you know, hockey or the NFL, you know, NCAA football, even down to, you know, lower leagues, you know, was it PV football or whatnot, you know, and you guys have been in, like instrumental in trying to address the kind of the culture around concussion in, in sport. What kind of is the fundamental starting block to actually changing the awareness around concussion, you know, in the general population, but, you know, kind of in, in my case, you know, the the world of, of professional cycling and, and, you know, recreational cycling, how do how do we inform people on, you know, where, where do they go to get the information of, hey, I've, you know, I've had a concussion, what are the steps going forward to, you know, be diagnosed and then get on a recovery pathway? Yeah, that's that's a really good point. That's something we're all struggling on um, doing right now, to be honest. One thing we're trying to make people aware of is, you know, concussions used to be treated by you know, going to a dark room, no cognitive uh, or exercise, you know, ability to do things. But now we, we've changed and we really promote early, you know, active rehabilitation in a sense. And we, we think that's really important. So we want people to know that, you know, concussions are treated differently now. Um, it's more active in a sense uh, early on. And you can make a real difference in somebody's prognosis by doing rehabilitation, you know, doing treatments early on. So it's really important to see somebody early on who has sort of the skill set to do this and get treatment. Because if you don't, you know, as a cyclist and you're, you know, going 100 miles an hour down a slope, those little, you know, milliseconds of you know, the eyes not working well, your balance not not working well can really affect your ability to ride properly. And, and so that's something we're working on. The second thing I would say is, you know, once we've identified a sport or a you know, type of people that are having concussions regularly, then it's trying to change the sport itself in a sense. And so, you know, our center was founded by who's now the chancellor at UNC, uh, Kevin Guskowitz, and he was really big about let, let, let's let's see what's going on with former athletes. Uh, let's figure those out and let's see what we can do to change um, the rules in a sense. And so, one of the big rules of change in football was the kickoff, because it turned out that many of the people in special teams was having they were having concussions and and that one simple rule change at both the professional level and the NCAA level really changed the number of concussions uh, that were seen in, in professional football. And so can, you, can we do something like that in other sports? So there's better detection. Uh, can we change rules in a sense to help um, athletes play these games safer? Um, that's sort of where we're, where we're heading as a center. Well, and when you look at, you know, identifying just for, for listeners who are, you know, interested in this, you know, people are oftentimes in cycling, they're on a group ride and someone may, someone may crash, you know, are there, are there simple kind of easy ways while you're out, you know, in the world to identify a concussion or if, if someone, you know, there's the obvious signs, you know, they're unconscious, but you know, their helmet's broken. And even, you know, there's cases where someone doesn't hit their head at all, but just because the speed at which they're traveling in an abrupt stop, you know, their brain can get kind of jostled around in their, in their head. Are there, are there ways that you could help people within your network, you know, instantly following a crash to help them identify that they've had a concussion or is it still kind of too arbitrary to actually have specific symptoms that, you know, I guess I'm thinking for concussions that aren't, you know, blatantly yeah. obvious. Yeah, I mean, we so I mean the 
Technology-wise, we've tried using sensors and things like that in football, but you know, you, you get some information for sure. But really, it's the symptoms and signs that one experiences. So, you know, if you notice you have a headache or you have double vision or blurry vision, or you feel kind of out of it, like you're not really there, you're sort of um, seeing your, yourself in a sense. You know, if you have those sort of things going on, then you know, realize that you you know, like, likely have one and then get evaluated. So in a, in a, in a cycling competition, you know, they have roadside physicians and things. If you're just a recreational cyclist and don't have the ability to do that, you know, it doesn't hurt to get checked out sooner than later and, and get evaluated. And I probably would say like, you probably don't necessarily have to go to the emergency room for many of these things. Again, the reason you go to the emergency room is if you, know, you had a pretty significant um, injury and there's a suspicion of a, a suspicion of a bleed in the brain, but if it's a small sort of injury, most of those injuries don't uh, lead to uh, brain bleeds. And so, you know, seeing a sports medicine physician is probably the best avenue to go because they're well, well trained in concussion management. Um, that's probably what I would say is seeing a sports medicine doctor. Um, but yeah, the, the symptoms and signs can be so varied that it's really hard to know without being evaluated. Um, I, I'm somebody like when in doubt, go get checked out. You know, when, if, you, if you're suspecting this at all. It's not worth, uh, you know, pushing through it in a sense. It's, it's better. You're better off getting checked out. Well, so if someone is to go get checked out and they go to a, a facility and maybe the, you know, the medical staff there aren't as, you know, they're in a rural area and they don't have access to a sports, you know, medicine doctor, what should people, what should people ask? Or if they've clearly had a concussion and, you know, they go to a facility and, you know, they say, okay, you've had a concussion, go rest, whatnot. But what sort of additional kind of resources should they should they look at? You know, I'd mentioned an optometrist who who specializes in concussion, but you know, what sort of other tests and protocols should a you know someone who suffers a concussion be be asking for? Yeah, no, that's that's a great point. So, like in terms of a resource, right now, the CDC has a great resource called Heads Up. Um, it's somewhere you, you can see and look and read about signs and symptoms of concussion. Um, if you're in a rural area, though, and don't have the, you know, the medical um, facility to see you, essentially, you know, in this in this golden age of telehealth, um, in most states, there are really good concussion doctors. And so having your primary doctor refer you to a concussion clinic in the state where you can, you know, start off by doing a telehealth visit, probably the way I would do this. And and then if you really need to be seen there, then you can, they can facilitate a visit for you at some point in time. But, you know, I think one of the things you're sort of getting at is, do you see all these people? Should you go see a neurooptometrist? Should you go see a physical therapist? Should you go see all these people? And it's hard to go and do that without having a sort of a quarterback, in a sense, who's guiding you through this process, um, because you sort of might be doing things that uh, might not be helpful for you in a sense. And to be honest, like having a neurooptometrist is also, also something very rare <laughs> in, in many cities and probably not going to be common in a rural area as well. So sort of going to the center in your state that does this stuff more frequently would be probably my my advice. Yeah, well, and that's like kind of one of the, the issues that I ran into as I was getting so much overload from so many different doctors I would seen until I came to see came down to UNC and saw you guys when you could, you know, it was essentially you had a team of people and you had it all organized and kind of like, all right, here's what we need to a complete evaluation. So if people can, I'm not sure everyone has the ability or, you know, proximity to come down to UNC, but uh, I highly recommend people heading down your way if if that is is an option. And, and we're obviously happy to see people from, you know, wherever. Um, and if it, it turns out that, hey, you live really close to a person that's really good for concussion care, 
and we also are happy to make sure you're you're plugged into that area as well. Well, and without giving out your your personal telephone number, how can uh, how can people find you know and guess, I guess get connected with with you and your center down there? Yeah, so it's called the Matthew Gefeller Center, G F E L L E R, Matthew Gefeller, and it's at UNC. And if you sort of just go on the website, people will see sort of the wonderful work all our research team is doing. We have an amazing group of researchers and sort of building up the clinical team as we go along. But that's that's sort of the center, and we work with many many centers across the country. We all have the same goal of helping patients and athletes. So. You know, we're very collaborative uh, with other places as well. Well, Dr. Canero, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for all the help you've provided me in my recovery process. And I'll let you get back to doing the valuable research that you're doing for so many people who have suffered concussions. Thanks, Ian. I really appreciate this time. Alrighty, I am joined now by my former competitor, now a fellow retiree, fellow Vermont resident, Tanner Putt. Tanner, thanks for coming on. Yeah, Ian, thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk about this with you today. Yeah, so am I. I mean, we we raced together growing up. I think you're a year younger than I am. So we we overlapped a little bit in the juniors and then in under twenty-three. You raced on on Axel Marx's team after I had left. And then we, you know, had plenty of uh, races together, whether it was tour of Utah, tour of California. We kind of grew apart a little bit. I mean, I was racing in Europe. You were racing predominantly here in, in North America with, um, yeah, I guess UHC um, and their various iterations. But we were reconnected just over a year ago at Old Man Winter out in Colorado. And I hadn't seen you in a long time, but I recognized you straight away. We spoke and I, to be honest, I didn't even know what you had gone through as far as concussion. And we we connected a bit you know, in Colorado, and then you moved out to Vermont. And this past summer, we got together a couple of times and we talked about concussion and how it affected us and kind of the the culture around it in sport and what you're, you know, what you went through really. And I was, I was blown away. And I, to be quite honest, um, felt almost a little bit guilty to, and to a degree because, you know, I had, uh, you know, I was on a world tour team. So maybe there was more media attention around the crash that I had. And, you know, I really honestly hadn't heard anything about, you know, your crashes or what you'd gone through. So can you just start off by telling us a little bit about your your history with with concussion? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, definitely different different kind of story than than yours, but I mean, all those everyone has a different story and, you know, concussions are very very different depending on the person. Um, but I've had a, a bit of a history with concussions. Um, I mean, I would say I probably have at least 4 to 5 concussions that I know of. Um, I mean, I grew up with three brothers in Utah and we skied, biked, did everything. And, um, I'm sure there's a couple more, you know, concussions just from, from that, just from growing up and being a kid. But yeah, um, I'd say about four or five concussions that I know of all through, through bike racing. And I would say my first one that I can really kind of remember was probably in 2014 when I was on Axel Merckx's team, the, uh, it was Bissell. I think it was Bissell back then. But yeah, I was 22. My last year is an under 23. Preparing for Tour California. We're at Tour Gila. Big, uh, you know, lead up race for, for the U.S. guys heading into California. And I had my first crash on the first day. Um, there's a big, big pileup on a descent. And uh, yeah, I hit my head, blacked out. Don't know if I was out cold or not. I, I don't really know. Um, I guess, you know, my mechanic and teammate came over to me and I was, you know, not really responsive. I don't really remember too much about it. Um, but I got back on my bike, smashed my helmet, um, was definitely out of it, but they just, you know, put me back on my bike. Um, it was kind of one of those things. It was like, 
you know, you, you got to do this race to be able to compete in Tour California. And so, you know, finished up the stage, you know, just inside the time limit to continue on. Um, didn't really think much about it back then. You know, a lot of the stuff with concussions didn't really, you know, come out back then, um, at least not in cycling. And so I definitely struggled with that for, you know, the next couple of weeks leading into the Tour of California. I, I just fell off, um, but didn't really think too much about it. It was kind of my first big concussion and um, really didn't think too much about it at the time. And then fast forward, probably five years later, four or five years later, um, I was racing for United Healthcare and I was just doing a, a local crit or not really local crit, one of the USA crits, um, down in, in Colorado, just as, you know, a little prep race, um, for the pro challenge. Um, and that's when I got my first real severe concussion. Um, this one was kind of odd and a lot of people didn't really know about it because, um, it was the last lap of a race just crashed like normal. I crashed a bunch of my career. Um, but, you know, crashed, hit my head, knew I, you know, hit my head. First thing I did was check my helmet. It was smashed. I felt totally fine. Rode to the finish. Um, and once I got to the finish, um, I had some, uh, my girlfriend's family there at the time. And, and her dad came up to me and was, you know, freaked out because he'd never seen a bike race before and saw that I crashed and came over to start talking to me. And I couldn't really talk. Um, at first I couldn't say anything. Um, and then kind of started slurring my words and that's when I kind of knew something was off. I didn't black out, you know, other than not really being able to talk too well, I felt totally fine. Um, and I just figured, you know, uh, you know, give it a couple of days and I'll be back training for, for the race. And, you know, the next day felt okay. Decided to stay off the bike. Second day I was like, okay, I feel okay. I'll try and go for a spin. Went for a spin about, you know, 10 minutes into my ride, I started getting not quite like a headache, but just some serious like pressure built up in my head. So I turned around, went home. Um, and that's kind of when things started to go south for me. I remember just passing out on the couch. I just fell asleep. I was exhausted, couldn't stay awake, um, and just fell asleep. And then each day after that, for the next couple of months, I was just a wreck. I, I, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't look at screens. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't focus. I couldn't ride my bike. I'd have headaches every day. Um, my vision was off. Uh, I had neck pain. I had all, all kinds of problems. Uh, um, and so that, that was kind of the, the first real concussion that I had the year after that, um, was, you know, my final, final season racing. And that's when I got my, my, my most recent concussion, very similar crash in a crit um, down in Oklahoma, um, almost identical crash, um, landed on my head, broke my helmet. Didn't think anything of it at the time had absolutely no symptoms for, I mean, absolutely no symptoms. I, I, I felt a, slightly off, but it, I thought a lot of it was just paranoid and I was just being cautious. And the same thing happened again, three, four days later, I couldn't get out of bed. I was just, you know, I, I was a wreck again. Um, and so it was, it, it was just kind of different concussions. It wasn't like, you know, I was rushed to, to a hospital and an ambulance. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't out cold and, you know, medics all around me. It was just thought I was totally fine. And, you know, a couple of weeks later, or I, I was still dealing with it. And, and I'd say those, the last two concussions that I had probably to feel normal again, probably took, you know, 
four to five months. Um, and normal being saying, saying normal is in, you know, being able to go do stuff and not have headaches and, um, you know, things like that. I was able to kind of live my life again after those months, but definitely symptoms that I still deal with to this day, two, two, three years later, um, from those crashes. Yeah. Well, and that's, what's, you know, crazy to me. And we spent some time last summer talking about it and we had both of our, our partners with us and, you know, it was, it was interesting to me to hear their perspective of, you know, things that over the, you know, especially through both of our kind of recovery processes and, you know, the weeks and months following our crashes, things we didn't tell our partners because we wanted to get back to our bike. You know, there's, there's symptoms and, you know, you don't feel, you don't feel normal, but you don't feel bad enough to like go to a hospital or to, you know, call a doctor. You just feel off, but you assume it's going to keep getting better. And so there's, you know, and we, we spoke about this, the fact that there's this culture of like, well, if I don't tell anyone, then no one knows. Did you, you know, how long did it come or how long did it take to actually get to the point where you were willing to kind of open up to, you know, the people immediately around you and be like, Hey, I'm not, I'm not okay. Like I can't go on my bike. And that, you know, goes for, you know, family and, and, you know, friends, but also like more importantly, the team, like telling the team, like, I'm not ready. Or is there, is there, you know, pressure because you're on a contract year as well to get back to racing just so you can get another contract. And that's your livelihood. That's your career and your job. And, you know, how, how did you feel in that situation? So, I mean, it was different kind of every time. Um, the first one that I had in 20, 2014, I was, you know, contract year was the last year under 23. I didn't have a contract, you know, the next year. And I was young. I, I didn't really know anything about the severity of concussions, what they can do to you long term, you know, what happens if you crash again, things like that. So it was almost, it's kind of sad to say, but it was almost kind of like a, a, a joke, you know, kind of around the, the team and, and everyone I was around and stuff. It was just like, you know, the next day, like I remember going down the descent, just feeling like, you know, completely out of it in the bunch and not being able to really focus going downhill. And it was almost, it was just like a joke, like, Oh, stay away from Tanner. Like he hit his head, like, you know, he's out of it. He might crash again. And, and, you know, I didn't think about, you know, at that time I wasn't really, didn't have anyone around me that was just like, Oh, you, you need to be careful. Like you shouldn't race. You shouldn't hit your head again. It was everyone around me was like, you know, you you got to finish this race or we're not putting you on the roster for California. And that was, that was the biggest race. I mean, that was the biggest race we would do all year on, on, on Bissell. And so and that, that, that concussion wasn't quite as severe. Um, and I didn't really notice any long-term things from that luckily, but yeah, with, with that concussion, there wasn't anything too difficult to overcome from that one, but it was the first eye-opening experience when I look back at it now going like, Oh my gosh, like, you know, if I know what I knew, if I knew what I know now back then, I would not have gotten back on my bike. I wouldn't have raced California. I would have done a lot of things different, but I just, nobody was around me to tell me like, Hey, you know, this isn't funny. This, you know, you could, you could mess up your entire life if you crash again or don't take this serious. And then when I was, you know, I think I was 26, the next time I hit my head um, on UHC in that crit in Colorado, and that one, that one was difficult. I, I was under a lot of pressure. Um, I knew our team was going away. Um, the sponsorship was changing over to a different team and, uh, none of the riders on the team were, uh, transferring over except for maybe one rider. And so everybody on the team was pretty cutthroat. Everyone on the team that year was, you know, kind of doing whatever they could to, to, you know, get spots on races and race days and results. So it was, that was a pretty stressful time, um, for me with the second concussion and 
luckily then I had, you know, I had my girlfriend um, around me back then to kind of get through that one. But that that was that was difficult because I thought it was going to be like every other concussion I'd ever had. I thought it would be a couple days off the bike, you know, get back on and life will just resume as normal. But after about a week or so, I continued to get worse to where, you know, I was having mood swings. I was getting, you know, just having breakdowns, crying, getting upset. You know, I, I, I couldn't even... I couldn't even like text anybody on my phone. It hurt my head too much to look at my phone. And at that time, we actually we had a team doctor. And so after about a week or so, my team still had me on, you know, to race uh, the Pro Challenge or maybe it was the Colorado Classic at that time in like two weeks. And so I, I, after about a week, I was like, this is getting worse. Maybe I need to say something. And so I told my team, like, hey, my my head still isn't feeling right. Like, just a heads up, like you know, you might want to think about, you know, finding another option for the the roster for the, for the race. Cause I don't know at this point if I'm going to be able to just, and I was only thinking fitness wise, I was like, Oh, I'm not going to be that fit. I'm going to take an opportunity away from a guy. You know, I've had a week off the bike, maybe someone else should take it. And so at that point I actually talked to our team doctor. Um, and he told me, uh, it's pretty old school. And back then I was like, Oh my gosh, like, thanks for helping me out and taking care of me. And now I look back at it. I'm like, what the hell like what what kind of advice is that but he basically just told me like you know stay off your phone uh don't look at screens stay in a you know a dark room and um just rest and sleep and so that's what i did and you know another week later about two weeks after the crash i didn't have any improvement you know and i gave it probably up until about three days before the race i said hey i i cannot race um i haven't ridden my bike in two weeks um, I feel absolutely horrible. Um, I can't look at, you know, screens. I can't ride my bike without getting headache. My neck is really painful. I, I have congestion in my ears. Um, I f- it felt like I was, um, you know, coming down from high altitude on a plane and I got to pop my ears when I can't pop my ears. And so that, that's when I was like, you know, I, I can't race, but in the back of my head, I was like, you know, we still got to race in China at the end of the year. I'll be okay for that. I'll be able to race. I'll be able to get a contract, but it just didn't get better. And it, it dragged on for a couple months like that until I was pulling myself out of the race of China, still not getting any better. It got it got to the point where I, I was really getting emotional. Um, I was getting frustrated. I couldn't find a team at that point. Every every team that I was in talks with before the con or before the concussion just stopped responding to emails, to phone calls. So I was dealing with the stress of, you know, oh my God, I'm gonna lose I'm gonna lose my job, I'm gonna lose my career. You know, I I didn't go to, to school. I was like dead set on being a professional bike racer, had plans to race, you know, I wanted to race till I was like 40 years old. And so I, I started getting really, really stressed out and, and, and you know, just having a, a, a difficult time, you know, kind of trying to overcome that. And I, I probably dealt with that until November of that year, that, that crash was maybe July. And I, I don't think I could really actually ride my bike again outside until about November. The team that I was on basically just, you know, once I pulled myself out of that last race of the season, they just completely just kind of cut communication off with me. They just said, you know, oh, the team's going away. We can't do anything for you. My team doctor, I remember having a conversation with him and he just said, this is just you got post concussion syndrome and it'll go away. It'll just take time. And I said, well, is there anything I can do for it just to speed this up? Because I just I hate how I feel. I can't live like this. And I'll never forget what he told me. He said, 
if someone could help you heal from a concussion, then they'd make millions and millions of dollars if they had, you know, a rehab for concussions. And so I just thought, you know, this is just going to take a while, but it'll just, you know, eventually, eventually go away. And so that, that was really challenging. And it took me probably until December to, to find a contract. At that point, I was, you know, considering just completely stopping altogether until the last minute, kind of getting that final contract on a, a smaller team to race, you know, one more year, I figured, you know, I'll give it, give it one more go. And then, you know, I had a, a short season again, because I crashed in, in May, um, just after our, a spring trip over to Europe. And that's when I got that, that last concussion. And it was hard because I, I knew as soon as three days after I crashed, I started feeling bad. I was just like, Oh my God, this is, uh, this isn't good. I'm, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm, I'm going to be dealing with this for months again. My season's over. My, my career's over. And that's when, when I really kind of went into a dark place. I just, you know, I, I, I stopped talking to people. I was, I was, I was angry all the time. I wasn't riding my bike. And it, it was really challenging. It was taxing on, on my, my relationship with my family, my girlfriend, my friends, uh, my teammates. It was just, it was just hard all around. And eventually, um, I got in contact with Robin Carpenter, uh, one of my former teammates on, on the national team. I believe you, you probably raced with as well. And he had a bit of a history with concussions as well. And he said, you know, you should look into going to see a concussion specialist. And, you know, he told me his story about it and how he, you know, had some pretty bad concussions and went to see a specialist and gave me some advice on things I could do, some supplements I could take. And I eventually went to go see a specialist uh, out in Utah, which which did help quite a bit. But, you know, it was the same thing as, as UHC. The team was fine to, you know, let me skip races and not show up to races. And, you know, they'd still they'd still pay me and everything, but I was completely on my own and figuring it all out, you know, trying to find the right resources. And, uh, luckily I had, you know, my family and, and my girlfriend and her family around me to kind of help find these people to, to see and kind of try to, to heal myself and, and feel better. But it just took a long time. And eventually, you know, I got in to see some of the right people and, and start dealing with stuff, but it, it just took a long time. And, it was it was it was hard. It was taxing on 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 everything. Yeah. Well, I mean, thanks for thanks for sharing that because it. I mean, yeah, it's a long journey, and you know, I mean, you've you've told me as, as well that you're still you know you still have symptoms that are existing today, which you know have maybe become almost normal for you that aren't aren't normal, and they're not you know it's not how you felt before, and you know, hopefully in time you can you know continue to get help and, and figure that out. But one thing I wanted to ask you, and you you kind of brought it up speaking about you know, the culture within, you know, within the bunch, you know, especially being within a team and you said you're at, you know, Tour of Gila and everyone's like, oh, watch out for, you know, watch out for Tanner. He's, he's the squirrel. You know, he's, you know, he's, he hit his head yesterday. Now he can't yeah. ride straight. You know, how, how do we address in the sport of cycling, in your opinion, how do we get over that, you know, the stigma of like, of joking about and realizing that it's safe, you know, cause if you cross the finish line, you have a broken bone and people are like, wow, you know, that's so impressive, but you know, it's a physically seen injury and everyone knows, okay, he's going to go to the hospital. He's got a broken bone. He clearly can't race, but with concussion, it's not seen. And, you know, you might be feeling something, but it's very hard to articulate 
to other people what you're feeling. And even you speak to a doctor and like, how are you feeling? You're like, I, I feel okay, just different. You know, how does that culture change within the sport? And especially where you're at now, you know, you, you know, ultimately retired from professional cycling due to your concussions and you see, you know, riders still out there, you know, racing and, you know, potentially hitting their heads. How do we change that culture? So these athletes can get, you know, on a recovery program quicker and also be, you know, more supported by, by the teams and, and teammates and those around them. I mean, to, to kind of change that whole culture around it. I mean, I, I have to say it has probably gotten better. I mean, just seeing how my first concussion when I was, you know, 21, 22 to my last concussion when I was 26, 27, it, it has changed a lot, but I mean, it, it's one of those things where it kind of has to change on, on every level, starting from, you know, the, the governing bodies, the race promoters, the, the team doctors, the, the team directors, and then even the, the riders itself, you know, I, now I see, you know, people putting up videos and content and stuff of like, you know, them racing crits with, with GoPros on and they're, they're, you know, bumping people, chopping people in corners, you know, saying like, oh, this is, this is bike racing. It's, it's dangerous. It's, it's, you gotta be tough to do it. And I just think that's the stupidest thing ever. I mean, it, it's not what cycling is. It's not about taking risks. It's not about, you know, who, who has, you know, no fear and, and will take those risks. And, and I, I just think it's something that it has to change, you know, from within the sport, starting at the bottom and going all the way to the top, starting with, with the riders, you know, having riders, having more, more respect for each other, you know, riders kind of looking out for each other and, and caring about each other. Cause you know, this is something that can happen to anybody. Um, anyone can hit their head in, in an instant in a snap of the fingers, you know, lose everything. And I mean, like, like lose everything. Like you can lose your career, your contract, and then, you know, move on to, to real life where you've got concussion, you know, symptoms where you can't even get a job. And if you do get a job, you know, you're struggling to stare at a screen to do that job. So it's, it's one of those things where, where, you know, it's got to change starting, I think, with with the riders where it's, you know, they need to be educated in, you know, how severe concussions can be, realizing what the symptoms are, realizing um, what they need to do to to treat themselves, what signs to look for to see if they have a concussion, starting with if you're if you break your helmet, you got a concussion like you can't break your helmet and hit your heart that hard and not have some sort of concussion, you know, and then even going up to, you know, races, they need to, you know, make sure these courses are safe for riders. And then even going up, you know, to, to the team, team directors, you know, um, and coaches, you know, not, not putting pressure on these riders to compete and continue racing after hitting their heads and not, you know, putting this pressure on like, if you don't, if you don't get better, you can't do these races. And it, it, just, it shouldn't be like that. It should be, you know, get yourself better so you can do more races later on in the season, not, you know, start this race, even though you're a little bit concussed, just, you know, because we need you there. And so, um, I, I, I think there's a lot that, that still needs to change. Cause it's, you know, it's still, it's, it's like you said, it's, it's not a physical injury that you can see. Um, it's not like, you know, crashing and getting road rash or breaking a bone. And it's like this, you know, heroic thing that you still finish the race. It's, it's, it's stupid if you continue because the symptoms that I still deal with every single day, um, that I notice every second of my life is not worth any bike race or any contract ever because bike racing is short. 
and life after bike racing is a lot longer and you know you don't want to have to deal with this stuff afterwards and so i think it, it just it needs to start uh, the change needs to start with with the riders without the riders there is no team there is no race there is no governing body there's nothing and so i think it needs to start with the riders being educated in you know what what is concussion is it looks like or symptoms of a concussion and what 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 the protocol should be for that looking out for each other not you know making it dangerous not you know not being a an instagram influencer trying to you know show how you know crazy dangerous the sport is because it shouldn't it shouldn't be that way that's not what what bike racing is about and anyone that says that's what bike racing is about they need to rethink what they just said yeah and i i completely agree with you that it needs to come from it needs to come from the riders and they need to you know support themselves but they need to support those around him there's a case last year in the tour de france where roman bardet crashed he was his teammates were around him they tried to pick him up he collapsed fell right back down I mean, I know, I know his teammates, you know, it's Mikhail Shirell, they're one of their best friends and his, you know, best friend was trying to put him back on his bike so he could finish the stage and he finished the stage. And sure enough, he had, you know, a small hemorrhage in his brain and, you know, obviously concussed and you could see it on camera. And, you know, I mean, if I guess you and I are in a unique position to kind of know what we know now, if we were there, we'd be like, no way, man. Like you are, you're done. Like we need to, yeah. you need to stop. And I think that's where, you know, the cultural shift really does have to come with informing the riders and then they can implement, implement the change. And that's, that's hard to do too. Cause I mean, like, like for you and me, I know right away what I, you know, if I have a concussion, I, I know that the weird little symptoms and a lot of people, they think concussion is my head hurts or I have a headache, but that's not necessarily the case. And it, and it might not be, that first, you know, instant when you get up that your head hurts. And, and that's where I was like, when you asked me to kind of do this, this podcast with you, I thought it was, you know, kind of a great way to kind of show people that a concussion, you can hit your head and the symptoms might not appear for a couple days or even a week. And, and there might be slight, you know, symptoms at first, and you might think you're fine enough to finish that race to start the next day, but you don't know what's going to happen in a day or three days or a week. Um, cause it can get worse and it can, you know, progressively get worse. And, you know, you're, you're very vulnerable. Once you hit your head, once you hit it, you hit it twice while you're already concussed, then you're going to have serious issues down the road. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's difficult to kind of see and know what those concussion symptoms are right away if you haven't really had a severe head injury. But I mean, it's, it's, it's little things like if you hit your head you should be out of the race, no questions asked. Like I'll never forget the time watching a tour of California. Tom Skugins hit his head down Mount Hamilton, and the the support motorbike guy just put him on his bike, and he fell over right again. Put him on his bike again, fell over, and then he finally got on his bike and crashed like two more times down the descent and finished the race, and then pulled out that night. But it's just like you know, if he crashed again and hit his head, it could have been a lot more severe. And so it's just little things like that. Like I honestly think you hit your head and there's a dent on your helmet. You should be pulled from the race instantly. Cause not only are you putting yourself at risk, it's like, you know, it's like the joke when I hit my head the first time, it's like, you know, I'll watch out for him. He hit his head. He's probably concussed, but it's true. He could crash and he could, you know, hurt someone else in that race as well. Yeah. Well, I was actually right behind Tom's when he, when he crashed. I almost crashed. I was just behind him and I like backed off on the downhill because we'd done it before. And I was like, this is a dangerous descent. 
Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and, and then seeing the video footage afterwards, it's, you know, but that's the thing with a bike race. It happened so fast. Like I saw him crash, but I had no, I mean, you know, I was going 50 miles an hour and, you know, right up the road past him just seconds yeah. after and, and and you don't know. But all this said, you know, your history of, of crashing, concussions, you know, retiring from the sport, you still love to ride your bike. You know, we went for a Nordic ski the other day, which is, you know, on snow and we don't have to wear helmets because, well, I, maybe we, maybe you and I should, but we, <laughs> maybe we, should. <laughs> we didn't for, for skate skiing, but, um, you know, how are you, you know, I guess, how are you riding today to just making sure you're safe? You know, cause obviously there's, there's consequences and you know, there's an inherent risk of, of riding your bike, but you still love doing it. You still want to do it. Is it just a matter of being a little bit more cautious and just, you know, there's times even on a, on a training ride or just out with friends when, you know, you realize like, Hey, I just need to back off, take it easy. Like, you know, there's an inherent risk in everything, but there's risk that you can take that definitely puts you at, you know, a bigger percentage of, you know, having a crash. You know, why do you, why do you still ride today? I mean, I, I stopped riding for a while after I crashed and I, you know, had to stop bike racing. I was just angry. I was bitter and I got, you know, extremely depressed and riding my bike is, you know, one of those, one of those few things that really still just, you know, made me happy, made me feel good. So, I mean, there is a risk in it. There's, you know, a risk anytime you, you just, you wake up and you get out of bed, there's a risk doing anything. I still see, you know, bike racing is a pretty big risk for me hitting my head again, but it's, you know, you, you can limit those risks by being a little bit more cautious. I'm definitely a lot more cautious when I if I go for a, a group ride, which doesn't really happen anymore. But um, if I, you know, was going for a group ride like last last winter, I'd be a little bit more cautious. Don't really, you know, take risks descending. Um, I got into mountain biking a good bit this year, and definitely try to be more cautious doing doing things like that. Not doing anything that's out of my ability, I guess, and not really pushing pushing the limits. I uh, kind of, you know think I, I like to think I have, you know, a good idea of what my limits are and I stay within them now, which I mean, obviously for someone racing bikes is, is going to be a little bit different, but I would never, I would never go outside and, you know, ride my bike without a helmet. I see it all the time. You know, when I, I used to live in Boulder, people riding around, you know, training, it was, it was like the cool thing for a while, you know, wear a t-shirt and go ride your bike without a helmet. And I just, you know, I see that now and I'm just like, how how is that how is that okay then it's just put a helmet on your head you know the the consequences of not wearing a helmet and hitting your head are just not worth that risk so there's there's things you can do you can wear your helmet you can just you know hold back a little bit on those descents and stuff like that and you know group rides and things like that because you know it's just not worth it uh, but yeah i mean i i still ride my bike obviously not right now up in vermont with all the snow and the the cold weather but when it's nice weather out, I try to ride as much as I can still just, it, it makes me happy. Yeah. One, that's kind of the, that's kind of the catch 22 of all this is that, you know, concussion can lead to to depression and anxiety and, you know, just going into a dark place. But oftentimes for, for people like you and myself, the best therapy for that is getting out and riding our bike, which is so ironic, but you know, it does bring us so much joy and happiness. And it just is a matter of, you know, slowing down and doing it in a bit of a safer fashion. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's still fun to just get out. You don't have to push it. And it's just, you know, it's why I started bike racing in the first place. I just, I love riding my bike and I'll try to do it as long as I live. 
Awesome, Tanner. Well, hey, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for for sharing your story, for talking about concussion and and also, you know, providing some really good pointers and tips for people out there. And I think that that's a really good point to make sure that people do know that symptoms of concussion don't always appear instantly. Sometimes it can take, you know, it can take days, a week to for symptoms to really appear. So be cautious, yeah, be yeah. safe. And yeah, thanks so much, man. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. Man. Well, there we have it, folks. Episode one of season two, Breakfast with Boz being served by Wahoo. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and my conversations around concussion and cycling. I hope that you all learned something. I hope that you walked away from this podcast with more information around concussion and how you can maybe get involved and change the culture of cycling, even if it's within your local cycling community. It is something that needs to be addressed, and it is something that all of us cyclists need to be aware of. So I really do hope that I provided some sort of information for you. I will be back in two weeks on March 17th for episode two of season two, joined by another baddie. But you'll have to wait until then to hear more. So until then, folks, stay safe, stay healthy, and I'll catch you all right back here in two weeks on Breakfast with Boz being served by Wahoo.